One of the truths revealed from the spread of the coronavirus is the importance of leadership. When things are going well, a lot of people can look like great leaders. But a crisis reveals everyone's weaknesses, especially a crisis beyond any one person's control. We are in the midst of a fairly far-reaching crisis. In fact, in some ways, the most far-reaching crisis this world as a planet has known. The Chancellor of Germany, Angela Merkel, uh, recently proclaimed it the worst crisis since World War II. And one of Australia's top economists recently said that there are reasons to think that this could be as bad as the Great Depression if we don't get the response right. So at a time when we are in need of one of the best leaders that our nation has ever had, what we have is the exact opposite. We have Donald Trump as our president. And I think it is a pretty fair bet to make that the general consensus of historians will be that he is the worst president our country has ever had. And he was the worst choice that we could possibly have made to lead us through this event in particular. But the point of this sermon is not to bash Trump. That's what I have Twitter for. Bringing up the epic failings of the current occupant of the White House is merely background. It's like first painting a canvas entirely dark so that the brightness of the focal point will stand out even more. The point of this sermon is to help us see better the focal point of our hope. Now and always, Jesus, the Anointed One. The leadership we look to in this difficult time is that defined by Jesus, defined from both his actions and his words. And as we focus on Jesus in the particular story that we have for this morning, I believe we will see that Jesus gives us a vision of leadership very different from the world. For Jesus' leadership is a life of service and sacrifice. Our Lord gave everything for us that we might give our lives for others. As we dive into this specific story, we should once again give thanks that Jesus' closest friends were so utterly human and that the writers of the scripture were honest about their humanness. In this morning's story, the Zebedee family reveals the nature of most all of us, of humanity. The brothers, James and John, are adults. They're adults. And yet it's their mom who asks the question for them. In verses 20 and 22, we read that the mother of Zebedee's sons, again, these are adult men, came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down, asked him for a favor. What is it you want? And she said, 
Grant that one of these two children of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. Typical mom, right? She wants good things for her kids, and she's making it happen. By the way, where is dad in all of this? Nowhere to be found when the difficult things are happening. A little interesting background information that I either hadn't heard before this, or I don't remember hearing it, but William Barclay, a Scottish pastor and writer from last century, points out that both Matthew, or all three, Matthew, Mark, and John, give lists of the women who were at the cross when Jesus was crucified. From the various ways that the women are identified there in those stories, we learn that the mother of James and John was the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. That means, Barclay continues, that James and John were full cousins of Jesus. And it may well have been that they felt that this close relationship entitled them to a special place in his kingdom. End quote. Be that as it may, this little moment reveals pretty typical human nature. Most of us have ambitions also to stand out, to be known, to be respected, if not even admired. In fact, when the other ten apostles hear about the Zebedee's power play, we hear their reaction in verse 24. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. However, I like uh, what R.T. France, a British, another British commentator, thought about their particular reaction. He writes, The indignation was that of jealousy, not of holy humility. Certainly there is at least a little ambition and desire for acclaim in most all of us. And I would venture to say that actually a significant number of very good things, if not great things, have come about in the world because of ambition and desire for acclaim. Unchecked, however, these values can become hurtful, even evil. Jesus speaks to that reality when he replies to the whole group, including the ten after their comment. Jesus called them all together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. That translation is even a bit mild. Dale Bruner, a living professor from um, former professor at Whitworth in Spokane, writes that the, the Greek noun for Lord, kyrios, is intensified with a, a prefix that makes the verb domineering. And the Greek noun for authority is intensified with a prefix that, that adds this extra bit of, of authoritarianism. These two arrogant verbs, he writes, give our sentence its color. Worldly leadership is domineering and authoritarian. 
And that is what we have seen so much of in Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell, even before the pandemic. Trump firing hundreds of people for disloyalty. McConnell not even letting bills passed by the House of Representatives be voted on in the Senate. That, That is not the way of our Lord. Jesus states very powerfully an entirely different way of understanding leadership. Verses 25 through 27, he says, you have seen the examples from the world. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Jesus didn't just preach this. He lived it. He began this story with words foreshadowing this truth when he said, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. Then, as well, he ends the story foreshadowing the same. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, William Barclay reminds us of some of the ways in which our Lord fulfilled this foreshadowing with his life. Quote, Jesus's was a suffering in which no pain of heart or mind or body was to be lacking. He was to be betrayed into the hands of the chief priests and scribes. There we see the suffering of the heart broken by the disloyalty of friends. He was to be condemned to death. There we see the suffering of injustice. He was to be mocked by the Romans. There we see the suffering of humiliation and deliberate insult. He was to be scourged. Few tortures in the world compared with the Roman scourge. And there we see the suffering of physical pain. Finally, he was to be crucified. And there we see the ultimate suffering of death. It is as if Jesus was going to gather in upon himself every possible kind of physical and emotional and mental suffering that the world could inflict. End quote. Our Savior, whom we also look to as Lord, gave everything for us. That's why Trump's actions are so grotesque. I've never witnessed a human being who is so completely focused on himself and his own benefit, let alone our president. Every single action and every word from his mouth is calculated to care for himself, not even his family. I don't know that I will ever hear in my lifetime another elected leader say something as openly and appallingly selfish as his words in his interview at the CDC when he admitted that he wanted to leave the sick upon the cruise ship 
and at sea because he didn't want the numbers of cases to be listed as higher. And equally as appalling to me is that this man has the public approval of people who identify themselves as followers of Jesus. That is not the way of Christ. That is the way of the Antichrist. Here is what Jesus calls his followers to. Again, end of 26. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul understood what our Lord had given and what Jesus calls us to when Paul wrote to the Philippians. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude (coughs) should be like the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. And being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Our Lord gave everything for us that we might give our lives for others. And thank God we have people in our world, in our nation, in our community who are living and leading this way. Many of these people haven't really been appreciated as much as they deserve until now. There are many people that are doing this and and many types of people. There's always a danger in naming just a couple because there are so many others. But I really was this week thinking so much of nurses and teachers. No one goes into either of those professions other than to serve others. It's certainly not for money, power, and prestige. Right now, nurses are risking their lives to care for others and under horrible conditions. And because schools were mandated to close, millions of people are waking up to the reality of how much teachers give of themselves to not merely educate our kids, but to take care of them. God bless all of you for your selflessness. And there are many other profoundly beautiful examples of people in this congregation, in this city, in this country, and in this world who are leading us all toward the kingdom of God by giving of yourselves. People picking up groceries for their neighbors, 
picking up groceries even for strangers through the, the county's system for volunteering, people calling someone to chat simply because they worry that they might be lonely, people sharing their gifts of music and art for free simply to try to bring joy into the lives of others. That is the way of Jesus Christ. Service, even sacrifice for the benefit of others. We will get through this crisis, but the way will be full of service and sacrifice. It won't be easy. The way of Jesus led to his death on the cross. But the way of our Lord gives us profound reason for hope. On the third day, he rose again. He rose to new life in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says to us all, follow me. You will be with me where I am. Thanks be to God.